Card Games TV podcast. Um, me being unbeatable. All right, so this isn't just an old story. There's a lot of players nowadays, or I should say in the community, uh, I'm known for certain things. No super combos being one of those things. Recently, you know, being a hatchback player. Um, I'm not a content creator, but a lot of people think I am. And um, what else? Uh, of course, there's a lot of people think I'm a bad player. A lot of people think my deck sucks. Like my deck list sucks. Um, what else? But specifically, it's you know back to the whole bad player concept, right? The idea of being a bad player. Um, also, the idea that some people you know use the excuse that because I wasn't playing competitively, but now I'm starting to be able to because I have the opportunities to. It's not that I don't have the desire to or the financial capabilities to play competitively. It's just uh, it's a matter of timing, having the time to do it. You know, because I do work. It's not like I have money for free. I have to actually work for it, obviously. So I don't have the time to be able to go to events like I would like to. Um, but I've been, a, I've been fortunate enough to be able to find some opportunities where I can. And I'll you know, do my best to try to set up. I am looking ahead of time. There's a regionals. Um, where that I'm looking into trying to go to. Just got to figure out the trans transportation. Because, you know, if, if the regionals was inside my city, in the city of Philadelphia, that'd be easy, right? That wouldn't be that much of a problem. I would, you know, I would make sure I can make it. I would put, I would put the effort to make sure I can make it. You know, I could ask for a day off for, for the event. So there's that. But anyway, the thing is, some people just like, oh, you're not, you don't play competitively, therefore, whatever you say about the game is irrelevant. So there was some people with that level of ignorance thinking that you have to play at tournaments in order for you to be competent when it comes to a, I'm going to say, children's card game. Right. I'm going to put it that way. Even though this <laughs> wasn't designed for children, clearly, unlike Yu-Gi-Oh, which was clearly designed for children, um, it doesn't matter. Most card games, on average, are played by uh, young adults and older adults anyway, so it's irrelevant. A game is a game, regardless of age, right? If you're capable of playing the game, then, then you can play the game. Age is irrelevant. But... Um, but that's why it's so funny, the idea of, like, thinking there's something wrong. You know, if you don't play competitively, you, you can't talk about the game. It's like, that's that's not how that works. That's just ignorance. But uh, not too surprising. You know, that's what leads to the whole toxicness, right? That type of mentality, that type of, type of concept. Just like there's players that think that uh, you, have to, you have to net deck. The net decking is something you have to do. And what's ironic with that is that large majority of the community believes in net decking, right? Believes that net decking is a okay. 
but doesn't realize the irony, uh, not the irony, but the, the, the issue with that, you know, the idea of net decking is whose deck are you copying? If everybody's net decking, then nobody's net decking, if you understand what I mean. If everybody's net decking, that means no one's building. So if no one's building, who the hell are you copying from? You know, there was a time where it was like, I'll say like 5% of the community, of, of a card game community was net deckers. You know, it was people who just copied decks. You know, whenever you're in a play group, like in a lot of my older play groups, yeah, we would have like one or two people who had a habit of net decking. Either they actually copied off online or they actually copied off of each other. I had somebody who copied off my deck once. Well, actually, those two people, those two people who copied off of my deck. Right? I'm like, hmm. Now, one person did it more um, out of respect. They, they did it as an homage. They were, they were fans, so they made, a, they made a version of my deck for fun. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not against that. I'm cool with that. Um, but there was somebody else who did it just because of that deck. Just because, like, oh, my God, your deck's amazing. I want the same thing. And then they did. And then they copied the deck. They played against other people. Yes, the deck is good. Yes, the deck, you know, <laughs> obviously um, was getting that person a lot of wins, but that was the thing. You know, their, their behavior was like they're an amazing player when in reality it was literally my deck that gave them that ability, but I'm the one who came up with the, the deck design in the first place. I'm the one who came up with, with the build and, and the strategy and the concepts of playing it. So this person mimicked and copied me. So essentially they were getting a lot of wins based off of me, based off of imitating me. So of course at that time, you know, that kind of behavior was frowned upon. Now it's what everybody wants to do. Everybody wants to be like someone else. Everybody wants to copy off of one another. You know, to me, the way I look at it is like copying off of somebody else's test. Instead of you studying to be smart and pass a test on your own. You're just going to look right next to you and copy off of the person who actually did study, who actually did learn what they needed to learn in order to pass the test. And you're just going to copy so that way you can get the, you know, the, the passing grade and then act like you're smart. But you're not. You didn't learn anything. The only thing you know is just the answers, right? You just know the answers to the test. You don't know the knowledge. You don't know the, the information. You don't even know what the answers mean. You just know that those are the answers, right? You don't understand the purpose of the answers. Same thing when you net deck. You don't know the purpose of the person's deck other than maybe you saw a couple combos in the deck, probably saw a video of the deck in action, and it's like, oh, okay, I like that. I want to copy that. I want to do what that person did in the video. And yes, you can copy, you can mimic, you can, you know, pretend to be something, you know, be somebody else, but you're never truly going to be that person. You're never, you're not guaranteed to get the same results as that person. The likelihood of, of you playing the deck exactly the way that person would or make the, the same decisions that person would make is very slim. But anyway, the point is, is that I play... The way I play, so I have a play style, which is not really too unique of a play style. 
right? It's essentially just aggro. It's just that, you know, I noticed that a lot of people, especially at the beginning of the game, play so differently that, you know, the whole slowness, like they'll play an energy, end their turn, play another energy on turn two, end their turn, and they don't even attack the leader. Um, or if they do, they only attack for the first three turns, deal the opponent three damage, and then after turn three, they stop swinging. They try to wait until like maybe turn six or seven to try to, you know, to try to deal the last, you know, try to deal five damage or one turn type thing. And hey, if it works for them, fine. I'm not against it. If it works for them, right? But I always saw how there was a level of luck. <coughs> Sorry. There was a level of luck when it came to that. It's like, yeah, it's not the most ideal strategy. Um, one, it takes long. And the duels take so long um, because you're waiting so long. So you're all stalling very long. So the game doesn't end in a short period of time. It takes a long time for the game. So that way of playing was slow. And since it was slow, obviously it takes more time to play the game when the game's y'all playing the game that slow. So I saw that as a problem. So I was like, well, I'd rather play fast. And I'm like, why are they playing slow? Why do they have a problem with dealing more than three damage? And, and then, you know, once you figure that out, it's like, oh, okay. Because they hate the, they, they don't want their opponent to awaken. So they consider that a problem. They don't want their opponent awakened. They're trying to starve their opponent of resources is what the term was. They're trying to starve their opponent of resources. This is also part of why they, they like to use the effect uh, crit and do the first three damage in, in critical damage, right? In crit damage. So attacking with like a Vegeta leader that has crit and then chompa it. So you do double strike crit so that way your opponent doesn't benefit from it, but you still dealt damage, but they don't benefit from it. And then just leave them at five life until you're ready, you know, to, to go for game, which is to try to deal five, all five damage for one turn, right? And you want to starve them of resources, which is why you don't let them awaken, right? Because most leaders had the draw two when you awaken. Most leaders obviously had draw on the awaken side, so you were trying, so you're trying to prevent them from gaining any any hand advantage from that. And then of course, by you critting their life, they get no hand advantage from that. So that means every turn they draw, they charge, they draw and they charge, which means their hand size doesn't get bigger; it stays the same. Or if they combo defensively. Right, or combo offensively, they're losing card advantage. So, I understand the strategy. It's just uh, y'all doing it. Y'all 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 playing that way more out of fear than out of it being a good strategy. Out of it being a a you know a, a smart um, strategic um, line of play. It was just more out of fear. You're afraid of your opponent drawing cards and getting to their good cards and using their good cards against you. So it was more of a preventative uh, measure than it was a good, you know, strategy to win the game. It was just more trying to prevent your opponent from being able to play the game. So that way you can hopefully, you can hopefully, not actually, but hopefully have the advantage or beat your opponent. Another thing is people like to awaken early, so they, you know, like the idea of self-awakening try to get themselves to full life so they can awaken and all these other factors. So there's a lot of stuff people are doing this like, yeah, a lot of that stuff is not logical. 
So obviously I didn't agree with the way everybody else played. So, you know, I played the way I played. Now, I tried their way, right? The way everybody else played, you know, just to see, you know, how 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 it works, right? To see how it plays out, right? It's hard to judge something if you don't try, right? Right? That's that's the that's the irony in my life, right? Because uh, a lot of people will look at my videos and whenever I talk or share information, they'll want to to do that, right? They'll they'll judge my stuff without even trying it out. It's like, okay, you're not going to try it. But but you still feel like you want to say something about it. Like, all right, whatever. I know the truth, y'all clearly don't y'all didn't try it to find out the truth but anyway so I tried it didn't work out or it just wasn't the best um, optimal thing it's like yeah I, I get why y'all doing it but it's pointless to do it like you don't need to be afraid of your opponent having a lot of cards or a big hand size now I agree with the idea of crit damage of course you know, you don't want to give your opponent card advantage from that, but not awakening your opponent or not allowing your opponent to awaken, that I don't agree with. That was that was uh, pointless because the goal is to win by dealing eight damage. So deliberately holding back dealing damage just because you don't want your opponent to draw for their leader, you know, draw from their leader's, uh, you know, um, backside just didn't make sense it just wasn't logical and at the same time i can understand you you don't want uh, one bit one out of that situation out of that strategy which i don't agree with but out of that strategy i can understand one aspect of it which is the whole idea of you want to wait until until you're ready to start swinging right and then your opponent awakens on your turn you want to put your opponent in a position where they Awaken on your turn as opposed to awakening on their turn. You don't want them to, you know, save their awakening, especially if they are a untapped two energy leader. You definitely don't want them to awaken on their turn. So you want to force your opponent to awaken on your turn. So that's one thing I've definitely got out of that, you know, you know, strategy of, you know, holding back um, was that. But it was like, I was like, well, I'm not going to hold back my damage output just, just, you know, and then, you know, just, you know, out of fear of my opponent being awakened. Like, I find out that it's better that you force your opponent to awaken, especially early. That way, late game, they don't have their awaken as a trump card. So then I started realizing that awakening is a, it's like a trump card, right? It's, it, it's very important. It could come in handy. It could literally save you. Like, if your opponent is trying to go for game, you're tapped out, right? So you have no way of negating. Your hand size might be a little might be a little low, especially if you just finished comboing. So your hand size is a little low. Right? And then your opponent is trying to swing for game. And then you're like, okay, let's see what happens. Awaken. Draw two. Perfect. I got a super combo. You know, if you were playing super combo at the time. And I was playing super combo at the time. So it's like, all right, cool. I can super combo now since I have less than four life. And now I can start drawing it and potentially survive this turn. And if I do, 
oh great, then I get you know another turn. So it, it was more of a comeback. And that was part of the mechanic, the reason you awaken is to kind of be a comeback. Like that's why you awaken when you're when you're low in life, as if you're losing, and then suddenly a transformation, suddenly a power boost happens. And now you can turn the tables around or you can make a comeback. That was the whole idea. It's a comeback mechanic. So that's why it's like I'd rather save my awakening for late game. Makes no sense to try to awaken turn two, turn three, turn four. Like that's too early. Wait until like, you know, turn five and above. But typically, <laughs> the way games are nowadays, you tend to awaken uh, typically on uh, turn four, maybe three, but typically four. Turn four is when you, you tend to awaken um, depending. Now me, I, I tend to awaken. It takes. I tend to not awaken on turn four. I tend to awaken like on turn five or six, um, depending on you know what deck I'm playing. But the main thing is I always try to make sure I don't awaken first. I rather save my awakening. I rather my opponent awakens first, then I awaken. So then I start making getting into the habit of playing to force my opponent to awaken first. So force them to awaken first. Force them to use all their negates or to use negates early game. And force them to use super combo. So these are three things and a blocker as well. But mainly the defense is what I'm just trying to say. I try to force them to use a lot of the defensive cards early game. So within the first three the within the first four turns of the game, which is you know, early game and mid game, I tend to try to force them to use up a lot of their uh, defensive resources. So that way all they have is just their offensive resources, right? And then Late game, you know, typically turn five or higher. That's when I try to go for game. And my opponent should be really low on defensive cards, right? Defensive options, because I made sure that they used it up early game. And this is the kind of stuff that I do. I notice a lot of other players in the community don't do that. I've seen a lot of competitive play, and that's not something that they try to do. They don't try to force out a whole bunch of um, super combos, a whole bunch of, or, or even force out. Uh, you know, um, combos from the opponent. They don't put their opponents in positions where they have to combo as much. Um, so, but I always do, because I always try to force my opponent to combo because it's, to me, it's like a form of hand control. So by forcing my opponent to combo, that's essentially like me activating rebrand, right? Now imagine I force my opponent to combo right and then hit them with a rebrand. That's four cards out the hand, typically, right? So I do stuff like that. But anyway, the so the thing is, is that you know, I tried different things and then I found what works, or at least what works for me. Um, but I've also seen it work for others. But you know, typically, I'm one of the people, one of the few players that actually you know utilizes this, you know, the strategy. I tend to, you know, I tend to try to go, and this is where I started, come, you know, finding out and, you know, the concept of the first four damage is the easiest, because I noticed that not only in real life gameplay, but even when I started to, you know, try out untap, I saw that pattern. I saw that no matter what I did, no matter what I did, whether I made plays or not, whether I played the game good or not, whatever, right? Whether I'm a good player or a bad player, whatever you want to believe about me, regardless, 
regardless of what deck I'm playing, the first four damage is the easiest. It's very hard not to deal four damage with with any with any with any deck. Let me, let me be more specific. With any leader that at least has 10k power. Now, if you have a leader with 5k power, or even less, but let's say you have a leader with 5k power, granted, that would be a little bit harder unless you combo. Right, so Boma would be one of those leaders that'll be hard to deal for the first four damage easily because of her low low attack power. But most other leaders tend to have, you know, a ten thousand plus attack power. So it's not that hard. But Obviously, if you incorporate stuff like uh, Champa and you know some you know some battle cards, some unisons that can attack and do damage, that does make up for it. But typically, if you know on average, any leader you have that can attack, there are some leaders that can't attack. You know, Hatchet can't attack until until you awaken. Um, some wish old wish leaders can't attack, so there, there's you know, and then if you have five k power, granted, there's some leaders that is hard to deal for damage with, you know, but there's tons of leaders that that you can't easily do the first four damage, so that's why the first four damage is always the easiest, just because of that alone, and mainly because your opponent's not going to try to stop you. Then the next two damage after that requires a little bit of effort because once your opponent, um, you know, is at four life and is capable of awakening, if that's the condition of their leader, to awaken his four life, they'll try to protect that life. But, ugh, sorry, but their defenses might still be a little, little, little low at that time. So, just with a little bit of effort, just maybe even comboing a little bit would be enough to either a. They take the two damage or force them to combo out of that attack in order to, you know, not take the damage. But they lose hand advantage in the process. And again, the game is still, the, the turn, you know, you're still early in the game. So, you know, you're, you're still in a beneficial um, scenario. Whichever, whichever outcome happens, whether you deal the damage or not, you're still in a favorable position in that regards. But the last two tends to be the hardest because your opponent is going to put as much effort as they can into preventing that. And also, any time after turn two, your opponent's capabilities of defending themselves are a lot higher. Then there's, of course, free negates. That makes you know makes it even much higher. Um, and then there's, you know, then there's super combos, right? Then there's the um, the fact that most most you know you know most leaders have drawn a draw effects on the front side so you're going to replenish your hand really quick um, you might play a lot of draw effects so you're going to draw more cards so you're going to probably have a huge hand size um, if depending on how you play so that's why it's understandable that um, after turn two it's going to be harder to do the last two damage if you just so happen to do six damage on the first two turns of the game like I do with some of my um, X hit combo decks, but then and that's one of the many things I did was, you know, come up with ways to do a lot of damage on like turn three, do a lot of damage on turn four, because the more damage you can output, the higher chance you have of dealing the last two damage, right? So if I could output eight damage on turn four, like 
yeah, I'm swing, I'm playing a whole bunch of double strikes and swinging with a whole bunch of double strikes. One of these are going to get through. One of these double strikes are going to get through my opponent's defenses, and then I just got to dump my hand into that attack, right, and hopefully my opponent can't out combo and I win, right? Because you're always waiting for your opponent to not have blockers, to be tapped out, and to have a lower hand size than you, and then you try to go for game, right? Attack and combo your hand off. Simple, right? Not rocket science. You just got to set it up, wait for the right moment, and execute. Order 66, as they say, right? So execute your, um, you know, your, your, your plan, your game plan for winning, which is, you know, simple and straightforward. So that's the thing. It's like it's not hard to explain how to win because it is basic. It's very simple on how to win, you know. You obviously want to make sure your opponent can't block, your opponent can't negate, your opponent can't out-combo. As long as you can do those three things, right, or you can prevent those three things, you're going to win, right? Because damage is damage, right? As long as you deal all eight damage, you win. So that's why I said the last two is the hardest because your opponent is going to try to out-combo your attacks. They're going to try to negate. They're going to try to block, right? They're going to try to do something. Um, so that's why you have to, uh, you know, be really good at choosing um, your win con, right? How you want to win. How you, what, what's the best course of action? Let's say you can always pretty much force your opponent to tap out, so that way it's hard for them to play, uh, play the negates. Uh, they typically, or you, and you also have a way of making sure they don't have blockers. So those are two things you don't have to worry about. You might still have to worry about free negates, and then, you know, your opponent out combo your attack. But if you make sure you go tall, for example, or go wide, you're able to mitigate um, their ability to uh, out-combo you. So a way to, to deal with being, you know, being out-comboed is to make sure your attacks are really, uh, for you to go wide is one way, or you go really, really tall, so tall that they can't out-combo that attack. But you can go wide, but make sure that the attacks are high, like at least 20k is a good uh, number. So get a whole bunch of 20ks and swing at your opponent. Because that will put your opponent in a position where they need 10k combo power for each attack. Right? And if they only have two life, you only need two attacks to go through. So you might want to have six attack, like six 20ks. Right? Because even if they have four super combos in their hands, they can only stop four out of the six attacks, which means two attacks can still go through, right? And that's if they have a hand size of like six or less. Because if they have a hand size of eight, right? Four of them being super combos, and let's say these are not the ones to draw cards or do anything much else other than just give you 10k hypothetically, they can stop four attacks, but then they... And then they can stop the last two attacks if they have 20, 20 combo, 20 worth of combo power in their hand. So that's two cards per each attack. They can stop it. So out of eight cards, they could stop those attacks. But this is why you do combo map. This is why you think about the, the possibility of your opponent having super combos. And if the super combos draw cards, the possibility of getting combo power out of that, getting more battle cards to have zero cost 5k, right? Um, and then how many five zero cost five k they might have in hand. So you count how many cards they have in hand, and then 
you assume that they might have four super combos. So that's 40k power combo power right there. Then let's say all the super combos draw a card and they get an extra 5k combo power for each time they draw. So that's an extra 20k combo power. So that's 60 combo power, right? And then any extra cards after that is essentially 5k combo power, right? So let's say you, you have two cards extra after that, then that's an extra 10k. So then you seven, so you have 70k combo power. So in a six-card hand, there's potential for seven, um, yeah, for um, 70k combo power plus the leader. That's 85k. So you'll need to get your whatever attack you're going with. It, let's say it's just one attack. You want you know you're going tall. You want that attack to be 85k and above. 80 is not enough. An 80k attack is not enough. Your opponent can out combo. Granted, they have to use their whole hand but they can do it. That's the whole point. So you want it to at least be 85K in order for the attack to go through. Or if you can get, um, you know, two attacks, right? And get them at, you know, um, what was it? Get them at, uh, and have them at like 40K each. Get to my right, it's the math. A second. Well, I have to read. I have to think hard about that specific scenario. But if you have two attacks that, like I say, are forty k, then your opponent's going to need in order to stop each attack. They're going to need about thirty combo power, right? Thirty plus fifteen is forty-five, right? So they're going to need at least thirty combo power per each attack. So you might not want to go 40k in that scenario because if it might they could afford it yeah so you'll want the tax to be what 50k each so 50k each and they will need 40k to become 55 for 40k 40k that's 80 80k combo power, but they can only manage 70 combo power in total. So, yeah, you'll want to be, I said 50k, so essentially you want to be 45, 45k each battle card for 50k, you know, round those two numbers, each of your battle cards in order to greatly increase your chances of your attack going through. So there's that. So that's the thing, it's just you gotta do some math, which is why it's important for you to practice that idea, practice, you know, doing combo maps, practice, figure out how many, how strong your battle cards or your attacks have to be per, compared to your opponent's hand size in order to determine out your chances of your attacks getting through. Um, Obviously, certain strategies like Android 17 turn and ties, making sure your opponent can't combo or even negate because you took every card out of the hand. The only thing you have to worry about is blockers. If they have blockers on the field, then they can block. So you need to make sure they have no blockers, then play 17 turn and ties, and hopefully they lose their whole hand, right? Which means no combo power, no negates, and you can start swinging for game. And make sure they're low life, like two life, ideally. Um, well, I can do three life, but ideally you want them to have two life. That way 
it just be uh, Android 17 and your leader is all you'll need for, for game. But if your point has three life, then you'll need a unison. But, uh, you know, that's the thing, is that I've been trying out different things, you know, experimenting, trying, testing out different concepts and ideas and improving as a player to the point where it's like, okay, I understand the, 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 the game very well. I've mastered certain aspects of the game and then I share that that mastering, that concept. Like I started sharing the idea of like how to um, predict what's in your opponent's hand based off of their energy, right? Um, um, how to predict what's in their hand based off of when you activate an effect to make them um, discard a card. Based off of what they discard, that lets you that gives you a big good a, a good idea of what's in their hand. Because typically most people discard uh, cards from their hands that uh, they feel they can't use. First off, they can't use as combo. For example, if they discard a big five k a big five drop um, battle card from their hand that costs one energy to you know combo ten k, right? Clearly, they more likely have super combos in their hand. They're trying to keep because those are free. You can combo them for free, obviously, and they're trying to keep their five k combo power. So they'll keep the battle cards like super combos, for example, that can be comboed for free. They'll keep those. Even I do that. They'll keep those, right? I'll keep the stuff that I can play for free, right? But if I have to pay an energy for, like, combo power, um, for example, that I would get rid of. So if I'm in a position where I have to discard something, I would typically discard, um, you know, something that has, you know, 10K combo power, but it, but it requires an energy. First, then I would um, discard something that has zero cost 5K, just because I, I, I could use the zero cost combo power. Especially if my opponent's trying to make me discard cards from my hands in order to attack, then of course it makes sense for me to get rid of the battle cards that cost energy to combo and keep the cards that I can combo for free in my hands so when they do attack, I can combo them. Granted, that means I'm gonna have less cards in my hands, but at least I'm not gonna take damage, especially if my opponent's trying to go for game. If they're trying to go for game, I, I'd rather be in a situation where I can combo I might lose you know half half or more than half of my hand size but at least I'll survive that turn and have a, a, another chance to try to make a comeback right at least a chance to try to win because if I can win next turn then it's more reasons for me to try to survive that turn so ideally if I'm forced to discard cards I'm going to discard battle cards that have um, one energy combo power as an example so if your opponent does that well you know they're trying to conserve they're trying to save their zero cost 5Ks. So you know there's 5Ks in their hands. You know that there's a possibility they might have a super combo. But, you know, if they have a super combo, they typically will always keep it anyway, so it's irrelevant. I'm just saying that there's a there's a high possibility. So you here's the thing. I always assume my opponent has super combos. I just make my life easier that way and just assume they always have it. Not just one, but like all four of them. It's better to assume they have all four because I've been in a scenario where my opponent did have all four, so or at least three. Um, so I rather assume they always have four super combos. That way, um, I don't get surprised. Whereas when when I'm like trying to go for game and then they're, they're like one, two, three, four, like oh damn it, she had all four. I rather assume they have four, and then play as if they have all four, than to assume they don't have all four and then it turns out they do. Right? It's the whole uh, plan for the worst, hope for the best, and that's how I 
I do things. Same thing as I, I play as if my opponent is a 15K leader. I don't play as my opponent is a 10K leader. Even if my opponent hasn't awakened yet, I, I always play with the mindset of my opponent's leader being 10, uh, 15K. So I'm, so I'm always focusing on that. So everything I do is based off of, um, you know, dealing, dealing, you know, well, dealing with something that has 15K combo, uh, 15K power, base power. And go and work from that. So that's why I'll I rather have stuff that has 15k fifteen uh, k power or higher. Obviously now I'm on I'm on the whole 20k and above um, concept. 30k and above is the new new. But uh, and I'm trying to do a whole bunch of 40k's. I'm trying to put a lot of 40k's into my into my deck strategies. Um, but I'm just, you know gotta wait until Ben I prints more 40k's so I can incorporate more 40k's into my decks. But, you know, 20, 25, and 30Ks are most some of the typical uh, powers I put into my decks. A lot of Unisys, good ones anyway, have, have 20K, combo, uh, 20K power, so of course I play them a lot. Um, and a couple 19Ks, they're close to 20. And then, you know, some 30Ks here and there. So I try to incorporate that as much as possible because uh, that goes with my whole no combo strategy, the whole idea of just playing, uh, that when I do combo, it's only defensive, it's never offensive. That's just a waste of, of, of cards to try to make your attack stronger when you could just play stronger cards. Play stuff that has high attacks, it's just common sense. It's not rocket science, it's just common sense. Play stuff that's stronger so you don't have to combo when you attack, right? But if you do combo, that puts your opponent in a position where they have to combo more. It's like, ah, oh, shit, 35K attacker. Shit, I don't want to take that damage, so I have to try to out-combo it. you rather have your opponent in that position, not you be in that position. Because if somebody attacks me with a strong battle card, I'll just take the hit or negate it or block it. Those are my only options, and that's the only options I really need. I'd rather not uh, combo. Um, I definitely... Don't want to combo against strong attacks. I'll take strong attacks. I'll combo against weak attacks if I could afford it. Like if you know it's not a problem for me to just you know combo a five k because it's not part of my you know winning strategy. Then I have no problem doing it. But other than that, I'm not going to try to out combo a strong attack. I'll just I just rather take it. What else? Uh, there's so many different things that you know that I figured out. Obviously, from playing the game, and then I shared. But the irony that a lot of players in the community don't respect the the, the work, right? The effort that I put into um, you know understanding this game, so that way I can share my insights. Well, they don't appreciate that I share my insights, I mean, because obviously, me learning and mastering the game is f for me, for my own personal benefits of. Being good at the game, so that way, you know, when I, so that way, if I, you know, go to tournaments, I can do very well because I'm really good at the game, type thing. Am I perfect? No. That's the whole point of this podcast. Ironically, the episode is to point out the fact that it's like there was a time where it's like, yes, because the way the game used to be, right? And since I already understood, you know, the, the, the basic stuff you need to understand about winning the game because the game is not complicated, it's just that over time, Bandai started adding stuff to the game that made it a little bit harder. For example, sparking the gates. 
super combos that don't require your opponent to be uh, four life or less, right? When they started adding stuff like that, even started adding free blockers, blockers you could play for free just because you play a certain leader or something. Um, little things like that, those small little details made a huge difference because that allowed your opponent to be able to defend themselves um, while still being on the offense. Allows them to attack and defend, not not choose between attacking and defending. And then they started adding. I'm not gonna go into the whole list of things that they added to the game that makes it, you know, more more complicated, more difficult than it was when you know I first started playing the game. Part of why you know at back then when I was like, oh, this game is easy. It's not that hard to do a lot of damage. You know, I was just pointing out, you know, you know, facts. I was pointing out. You know, a obvious observation, especially from my own experience, is like it's not that hard to do a lot of damage because people used to, you know, like I said, people used to play slower than me, that it would take longer than four turns for them to get their opponent down to two life, let alone win the game. And I'm like, it doesn't take me that long. By turn four, my opponent's already at two life. When me and my friends are playing, I get them down to two life. I get them down to two life by turn four, and I'm and I'm still like at five life, five or six. I'm still at five or six life, and they're at two life by turn four. That's how I play. That's not how the community was playing out there, but that's how I was playing. So then all I have to do is just deal the last two damage, right? Double strike for game, right? So it wasn't surprising when. That's what I did, especially when Overrun became a thing. It's like, oh, awesome. And then the Awakened World of Bardock, like, oh, yeah, that's nice because after I do everything to try to go for game and my opponent goes out of the way to stop me from going for game, you know, and, and then now I can take advantage of double playing this battle card for free and finish finishing them off. Uh, got a little distracted. Um, so I lost train of thought of what I was talking about. Um, I play faster, differently than everybody else. Yeah, it doesn't take me that long. Yeah, double strike. So I play over Realm and, and swing with Bardrick. He he has double strike, and I dump dump the rest of my the cards in my hand because clearly I didn't use a lot of my a lot of my cards in my hands to combo in the first place because I'm just swinging with with uh, basic cards. The main thing is I'm swinging with like a whole bunch of 15ks just to get my point to like combo 5k 5k. You know out their hand and hopefully I made them waste a lot of their super combos earlier so that way there's not much left in their hand except maybe a couple of negates and stuff but they can't play because they're tapped out especially if they already play some negates already and then just drop over realm and just swing you know with a surprise attack like there swing dump my whole hand into that even if you have cards in your hands to combo even if you have a couple super combos it might not be enough and then go for game and that's you know one of the many things that I did. Another, another thing I did was uh, the five drop go, go tanks, Super Saiyan 3 go tanks, ghost attack, right? The one where you play, you get three tokens, and if you have four or less cards in your hands, the tokens and him get a uh, double strike, so you have the potential to do uh, eight damage off of playing one card, right? And then, you could, and then you could just use the battle cards in your hands, right? Like super combos and stuff like that, and just power up your tokens and you know just get that double strike damages to go through 
I mean, one of the issues with that is the fact that your opponent is obviously adding two cards every time you deal damage. Potentially, those cards can be used to out-combo your attacks. But since you have four attacks, you only and, you, and more likely, um, depending on the situation, obviously, typically when I played it, my opponent's at two life. So when I'm swinging, they're comboing to try to survive. But then they were like, okay, I don't have enough to out-combo all the attacks. Right, especially if you combo with, with the tokens, right? You you use cards for your hands to make the tokens stronger. That greatly increases the chances of them not being able to out combo every one of your attacks, including you know you still got your leader swing, right? So you still have, uh, you, so you have a total of five attacks with the potential of doing nine damage. The likelihood of you getting through and getting all, you know, getting the last two damage is is highly possible. That's the whole going wide thing, going wide with Multiple damage, of course, not just going wide. Um, so that combination there greatly increases your chance of winning. So a lot of my Ws were because of that or because of Overrealm or just because I was able to attack with a leader, no negate. My opponent's hand size was small, so I chompered and dumped my hand into the attack and game. So that was how simple and straightforward the game was, at least for me. But it was weird to see the community tends to play, was playing differently and... Well, teach their own, but I played differently than they did. And it works for me. And the irony is it took many years, and this was in 2019, so it took many years after that, like 2020, 2021, for the community to catch on to the idea that uh, maybe we should play faster. Maybe we should, you know, try to do two, two, turn two kills and stuff like that. So after a while, you know, certain things started, you know, happening. One, two swap and make a freeze of apes and this and that. Like a lot of stuff started coming in where people started playing more like how I play. But that's the thing. I was doing it before everybody else was doing it. Everybody else was playing slow. I was playing fast. So, of course, you know, I'm, you know, online pointing out how easy the game is and how you can do more damage faster and win faster while everybody playing slow for. But I was the wrong one, right? They viewed me as I didn't know what I was talking about. And they didn't even believe there was possible to get your point down to two life by turn four. But then, you know, un untap was a thing. And then I was able to get on an untap and prove it and show it. Like, look, look how easy it is. But, of course, you know, stuff like negates, uh, sparking negates and stuff like that started coming into the game. So, you know, it made the game a little bit harder. So it's like, okay, I can't consistently win as much as I used to. Um, when they started adding these types of uh, types of things. And then later on, you know, we started getting some other stuff like, um, one, after a while, people started playing more blockers. So that made the game a little bit more difficult. People started playing more blockers. Uh, then Boma was a thing. It's like, oh, that's a lot of blockers right there. And, you know, and then slowly the game progressed, so it got a little bit more difficult. But still, a lot of my original concept still holds true. And that's where the whole four first four damage is still easiest, regardless of if this is set one or set 19 or set 100. Still, the first four damage is the easiest. The next two requires a little effort, and the last two is, you know, it's the hardest, right? So it's all about, you know, trying to figure out, um, not figure out, but trying to get to the point where you can just, you know, finish your opponent off um, with the last two damage or use some other win con. So the game is easy, 
Now, one consistently a lot in the beginning of the game, but over time, you know, it's been um, easier for people to beat me because it was harder for them to beat me back then, but it's easier for them to beat me now. So they have more of a chance. And I like a challenge. I don't want it, the game to be that easy because then it just be boring and pointless. Shit, I barely play Digimon because it's relatively easy um, for me. And it's like, yeah, not much to do there. Not much of a challenge in that game for me to you know, keep um, playing and working on deck designs and concepts for it. But Dragon Ball Super, you know, still, you know, intrigues me, right? Still entices me to create um, decks and, and, you know, try different strategies and, you know, always trying to innovate new spice, always trying to find some new spicy tech that I can use to improve decks. Because whenever new sets come out, I'm always looking for little gems to improve on some, some of my decks. And then, of course, share that knowledge with the rest of the community, whether they like it or not. <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast.